So God, I thank you for Alan, and I pray that your spirit and your presence would rest upon him, that he would bring a clear word to us, a now word from your spirit, and that our hearts and our minds would be open and responsive to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Chris. <clears throat> Morning, everyone. It's great to see you. It's great to worship together. It's great to be uh, in this place together this morning. I know um, lots of people are uh, sick at this time of the year and colds and flus, so um, Rachel's at home with Finn this morning. And um, I know um, when, we, when we were young growing up, the old preachers and people in the little church I went to used to pray for those who were sick of the assembly. And um, you weren't, you weren't quite sure what way to take it, but... Uh, I pray for those who are sick of the assembly. It was some kind of old-fashioned way of saying for those who are sick. We always thought they were not there, maybe because they didn't didn't like it anymore. But um, <clears throat> for those who are sick, uh, we want to pray for them today too, that the Lord would kind of touch them and bring strength and healing to their bodies. Um, we're going to continue our theme this morning. I'm, re- I'm really looking forward, by the way, to next next week. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Two years two years old. Um, it's been wonderful, and um, we're going to celebrate that. And Bruno is going to be sharing next week as well. And um, we're going to hear just some testimonies of how God has used this community and this family to bless and shape and form many other people. And um, so please come along and bring families and all of that, and let's uh, let's hang out together afterwards and have a great time as we celebrate all that God's been doing. Um, we're going we're gonna to continue this theme this morning, um, following Jesus in all of life, and we're exploring the fifth of our, the fifth of our sixth practices, and um, so it should be the other way around and that, but we're going to be doing, we're going to be doing mission this morning, and um, in all of these practices, as we said, we want to um, push ourselves a little bit maybe to the way many of us were brought up, which was just to believe in Jesus and what Jesus did, which is obviously very important, but maybe not taught as much how to walk in the way of Jesus, right? Um, so we kind of go to the start of the Gospels and the end of the Gospels, you know, we go for the birth of Jesus, particularly at this time, and we go for the end of the Gospels, what he did for us, but often we don't take that much time in the middle where he actually showed us how to live and the way he wanted us to live. And so uh, we want to encourage you uh, and our, all of us together that we are on a journey uh, once we come to know Jesus, and even if you don't, that this is the journey you're invited into, to be co-morphed into the image of God's Son Jesus, and to rediscover our original design as um, image bearers of our Creator God, and uh, and so this morning, as we look at mission, it's important to say we can't really understand Jesus outside the mission that He came to fulfill. Okay, um, <clears throat> we often say that Jesus was the centerpiece of the story of God, the main character in this unfolding story that we see in the Bible. Um, and it would also be right to say Jesus is the centerpiece of the mission of God. Jesus was literally God incarnate on a mission. And so we want to understand this mission of Jesus. Because when we understand the mission of Jesus, it changes everything really. And how we understand our life within that. Uh, and so like the other practices that we've studied, it's partly kind of the way I kind of speak, if you haven't realized by now. I, I like to kind of just zoom out <laughs> for a minute or two and look at the big kind of arc of the mission of God in the Bible, because what I really want us to understand is Jesus steps in, Jesus steps into the flow of a mission that has been going from the beginning of time, really, okay? And so, <clears throat> I just want to really sketch um, in a few chapters in the Bible of the Old Testament, I want to sketch the mission of God 
and how Jesus is stepping into that mission so that we can understand more fully what he's calling us to. You with me? So here, here, here's, a few, here's a few passages that uh, if I was to explain the mission of God, I would go to. And I would, um, if we were to understand our original design as his followers. And so I'd go, I'd go to Genesis 1 first, okay? And I'd read, a, I'd read a verse like this, Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so this is obviously after God had created everything else. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Check this out, fill the earth. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then, in some way, a bit of an echo of this passage in the Psalms from David. says this. I think my favorite psalm. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and influence, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks, herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, and all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so in Genesis 1, and this psalm reflecting on creation and what God did in and through mankind, we see the original mission of God tied up with the original mission of those he created in his image, which was to fill the earth with his presence, okay? To fill the earth with who he was and to rule over it in love and in servant-heartedness, to rule over the earth that God created. So, I believe that right from the very beginning, it tells us, if you read a little bit more closely in Genesis, that Eden had actual borders, physical borders, right? Boundaries, maybe a better word to put it. And I believe that what mankind's original mission was, was to fill the earth with the presence of God, to extend, if you like, the borders of Eden right throughout the whole earth. You with me? So the original, the original design, the original mission of God is to fill the whole earth with his presence. Because God is love, he wants to, and he's a creator, he, he, like, like we've looked at in our other practices, he wants to create the world. He wants to create those in his image, which are humankind. He wants them to share in the love that he himself enjoys as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he wants to fill the whole earth that he's created with his presence. And he wants to do that through the ones he created in his image, right? So that's, that's the original design, to co-rule with God, stewarding and harnessing the potential of the earth to fill and subdue it with his presence. So that was the original mission. But as you know, it have to go to, well, we want to fill the earth with his presence. And then we go to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> and in Genesis chapter 3, we'd, we'd, we'd know the story, don't we? The Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord banished him from the garden to work the ground from which he'd been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden, Cherubim, 
and his flaming, flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life, right? And so something happened. There was a disconnect between God and man because mankind chose sin, independence, uh, ruling himself, independent of God, over his relationship with God, and the story takes a turn for the worst. And there is a rebellion in the heart of mankind against the God who created them. Okay? And what we see as Genesis unfolds, even just those first few passages, I mean the first 12 passages of Genesis are really intense because there is a rebellion not just in mankind, there is a rebellion in the heavenly realms as well. Right? Um, and not to get into that too much, but there's a complete rebellion because God made humanity, but he also made the angels. He is the God of the hosts. And not only did humanity rebel, the angels rebelled as well. And so we have the flood, so God has to start the whole thing again, basically. But that broke his heart too much. Even though they rebel again, by the time we get to Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, he has to scatter them throughout the whole earth. And at this stage already, it looks like the mission of God has, been, has failed. It looks like it's over. Because what God has originally designed mankind to do, they're doing the opposite. And, uh, and so God has to start again, in a sense, with one man who will partner with his dream and mission for the world, okay? And, uh, and so this, this next passage <clears throat> is a key passage. Like, I don't think you can, it's one of the most important passages in the Bible, in that I don't think you can understand fully the mission of God unless you can understand what God was doing here in Genesis chapter 12. Because the mission of God is kind of restarting. The mission of God that I just said, the original mission of God was to fill the earth with his presence and to use the ones he created in his image to do it. Now the mission has kind of like had to recalibrate a bit because the mission is actually to get back the ones who were originally supposed to fulfill the mission. Does that make sense? So now God's actually having to start. It almost feels like he started this mission and he's had to go back further than where he started because the ones that he wanted to do it with have actually rebelled against him. And the main mission now is to get them back to win them back, to help them understand their vocation in order that they can fulfill his dream for the world. And so he finds a man called Abraham who, uh, in human terms, doesn't really add up to the kind of person that you would want to choose to seed a promise into. But that's the way our God works, isn't it? And so it tells us in Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> would you read this with me together? After three? Uh, let's read the word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 12, 1, 2, Three, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God is getting his story back on track. At this stage, God has had to, in one way, he has had to almost, it's not that he stopped loving the rest of the world, but in a sense, he's kind of had to, forget about them would be the wrong way to put it, but he's had to concentrate his efforts on one person, on his family line, on his descendants, in order to get a hold of a people whom through he could win the world again, Right? And so he focuses his efforts, if you want to put it like that, human terms here, on a man called Abraham. And he chooses him and he places and implants in him a seed, the seed of promise, the seed of God himself. 
has been planted in the heart of Abram. And God backs up that promise like God does with his promises in what we call in the Bible, or what he calls a covenant, which is a commitment and a promise so deep and strong that you put your whole life on the line in order for it to be fulfilled. It's not fulfilled, this kind of promise, through some mechanical transactional duty. It's fulfilled through deep, deep love, love of the deepest kind, love that is willing to give up everything and and put everything on the line in order for the promise that you've made to come to pass. And God is going to bless this man, Abraham, because Abraham gives his yes to God, right? Because that's God's always looking, people who give their yes. And God says, Abraham, I just want you to leave. <laughs> leave your house, leave your family, and start walking. And as it says in the book of Hebrews, Abraham left home not knowing where he was going. All he had was the voice of God, and he said yes to it. And God chose to, essentially God chose to marry himself, if that's the way to put it, to Abraham. He commits himself in covenant love to Abraham, and he says, I am going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to bless your descendants so that through your descendants, all the nations, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed, right? So you see that even though God's focusing now on a man, on his descendants, his intention is always that his mission will be fulfilled, which is the whole earth, the peoples, all peoples on the earth. And so it's really crucial for us to get that right from the very beginning. Otherwise, we start to get, if you're into theology and stuff, you start to get weird about things like predestination, and you start to get weird about things like the elect, because then you start to think that we're elect because we're better than everybody else, or because we've got special privileges. And then we realize right back at the beginning, we're only predestined to serve. We're only elected so that we can be used to win the world for God, right? And so this is crucial that we really, really understand that this has always been God's heart. And so while sometimes you just, if you just pick up the Bible and read a random part of the Old Testament, you think God doesn't really like all the other places as much. But God is just broken in his heart because he wants his world to work right. And he has to get a hold of a people to be like him and reflect him so that all the nations can then be one. And so just look at these circles for a minute. If you can imagine, look at the left one. Forget about the right one for a moment. If, look at the left one. If you can imagine where it says me, that would be Abraham. If you can imagine where it says the church, that would be the children of Israel who became his descendants. And the world is the world. So Abraham was chosen where me is in order to be blessed. So that through his blessing, the children of Israel, which is the church there, would be blessed. So that through the children of Israel, the whole world would be blessed. That was God's intention. And what we kind of imply and apply to our lives through this is this is us. We are saved to be part of the church in order that we might win the world. The problem is that we have in our society is it's more like the right-hand side today. Me has become the biggest circle. How can I fulfill me? Even within Christianity, how can I fulfill me? How can I have all this stuff that will get my spiritual life working well? Less people commit themselves to the church, and even less people get caught up in the mission of the world. Yeah? And what we really want to address and to readdress in our thinking is how can we be people that have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to the body of Christ on the earth so that through the body of Christ we win the world for Jesus. Yeah? You understand? Sometimes just seeing that, I saw that diagram when I was about 22, 
and it changed everything. It helped me realize that's the way I think. I, 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 want, it, I want everything. To, is the worship going to suit me? Is church going to be built around me and my needs? Is this all going to be about me? Yeah. When really we surrender our hearts to Jesus and to his church in order that we may get caught up in the mission of the world. And so I'm not going to go through the whole Old Testament, as you'll be glad to hear. So, but in, in, a, in one more verse, just and in a couple more sentences, I just want to like set the scene for what Jesus walked into. The rest of the Old Testament then is really the winding, slow story of Abraham's descendants, who became the children of Israel, who God brought out of Egypt through Moses into the wilderness, when God's intention was to make them a holy nation, a royal priesthood, right? That's what the commandments were about. Not just like a bunch of rules, because God's just a big rule keeper up there. God wants them to be a holy nation. And so he's teaching them and forming them and developing them and hoping that they'll respond to his love in such a way that they will become a people that look like him, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, that they will be the connectors of the beauty of the heart of God to the brokenness of the world. That's God's heart for the children of Israel, that they would connect with the beauty of his heart through his manifest presence, which is going to come down, and that they would connect that to the brokenness of the world. And that they would therefore show the world what the reign and the rule of God, of Yahweh, looks like. And you see glimpses of it in the Old Testament. That it's going to be a place that's pretty much bottom up in terms of its politics, in terms of its societal framework. It's going to be a, have a certain bias, if you like, towards the poor. How it's, it's going to be about justice and righteousness. And all. you see God's reign and rule. You see glimpses of it and how God is inviting the children of Israel to take him up on this amazing offer, if you like, to be his treasured possession, to become like him in order that the world can be, can be one. And throughout the Old Testament, God is trying to remind the people, because they keep getting it wrong, the children of Israel, what this actually looks like and what their true vocation is. It's like a parent trying to tell their, ch their child when they keep rebelling and doing things that they know they shouldn't be doing, and they know that they're more than that, if you like. It's like God out of his heart is calling the children of Israel. This is the vocation you were called to. This is the holiness of the calling that's on you as a people. And maybe most vividly he said this, and he reminded them through the prophets in Isaiah chapter 49, is it too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept? Look, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? Well, they're not the children of Israel or anyone. Basically, it's not the children of Israel, which is the rest of the world. I will make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Right? So God is reminding them. Yeah, you're getting that? God is reminding them that this is your vocation. This is the mission that you've called to. But ultimately, ultimately they fail. Yeah? Ultimately, Israel do not live up to their vocation. And unfortunately, in many cases, they actually do the opposite to what God would want them to do. And they end up not reflecting God. They end up actually reflecting the opposite of what God really wanted to be reflected at. Some someone judgmental and condemning and loving only an, an elite and not the world. And while, as I say, we see glimpses of what God is like through the Old Testament, through the remnant and those faithful ones that we read about in the Old Testament, it really takes Jesus to come and show us what God is really like. 
And Jesus comes to fulfill the story of Israel. Jesus becomes as, comes as the true Israelite. Jesus comes as the one showing us the beauty of who God is in all the ways that Israel failed. So where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus is going to overcome the enemy in the wilderness. Yeah? And loads of other parallels that we could bring out. When G- you know, when they say that you're going to like destroy the temple in two days and raise it up, Jesus is saying, I, I'm, the, I'm the embodiment of that temple. You know, lo- loads of different ways that we could bring out that Jesus was the true Israel. And he came to show the world what the Father's really like. Yeah, remember what he said to Philip? When you have seen me, you've seen the Father. When you look at Jesus, you see God. Jesus is God's definitive word. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not God. It's really that simple. And Jesus, that's why we need to read about Jesus and the Gospels, right? And so Jesus comes to show us what God looks like. And the implication of that is, I think this is really important. It sounds like an obvious thing to say, but I want you to think about it. Jesus came to show us what God really looks like. But Jesus came to reveal to us what the mission of God really looks like. Now think about that for a moment. Because I've been around the church for most of my life. And some of the things that have been declared and claimed as part of the mission of God, I am not sure <laughs> that they're the same mission of God that Jesus came to show. Right? So just think, let that sit with you for a moment or two as we kind of go through this. Jesus came to show us and reveal what the Father's really like. But I think he also came to show us what the mission of God is really like which is why it upset the religious, which is why it provoked the Pharisees and others. And what we find is the mission of God doesn't look like coming, God coming, like just like the Israelites um, wanted him to in some kind of warlike heroic figure that was going to come and like, like completely desecrate everybody, like like um, their, um, their enemies, the Romans, would have done or something. Jesus didn't come like that. That wasn't the way Jesus' mission. And actually, going on in the back of my head here, not to get off on a tangent here, is when it comes to how Jesus is coming back again, like the way I was brought up to understand Jesus coming back again is very different than the first time the way he came, right? Because he didn't need to come and murder and slaughter and all of that beforehand. The first time. He didn't need to get revenge on anyone the first time he came. So I'm not sure the second time he comes he needs to do it that way either. Right? So so this is why I think actually getting our thinking around this is actually quite important. Because we start to live differently into the mission of God. Right? Jesus comes to show us that the mission of God comes, comes to look like taking everything back that the enemy has stolen from the original mission. But the way that he's going to do this is through fierce, relentless, radical, servant-hearted love. He came to take back, to steal back. He didn't come to fight the Romans in some physical, warlike, revengeful way that all the other kind of gods and famous heroes of other nations were painted in that day. Jesus comes in a whole different way. But he comes on a mission, right? Make sure you get that right too. He comes on a mission 
to destroy the works of the enemy. The way he's going to do it just looks different to the way we might do it. So it tells us this in 1 John. Have I got this? Um, oh, I mustn't have put that one up. He comes in 1 John first three, chapter 3, verse 8, and he says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Right? He came to destroy the devil's work. And so Jesus came to destroy the curse, the stranglehold of the enemy, and he's going to do it through sacrificial love. He's coming as king to establish his kingdom. And it looks like love and truth and justice. And because he has come and he is king, the rule and reign of God is now coming in and on the world in a whole new way. Because the king has landed on the planet. And because the king is on the planet, the rule and the access to his kingdom is now available to all. We just have to remember that this king, as Graham Kendricks, I think, all those years ago wrote that beautiful hymn. He is the servant king. Yeah, he, he is a different type of king to the one that we look like. He comes with a crown, but his crown looks like on the earth a crown of thorns. Yeah, because this king is a different king to all the other kings that have ever lived. And the way that this king lives reorders the world and um, flips it upside down in the way that it was originally supposed to intended to look like. And so Jesus came and he called this message of good news the kingdom of God. And so the mission of God is seen through the lens, if you like, of the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God himself coming on the earth, establishing his kingdom on the earth. And so Jesus' core message that he came declaring numerous times if you read the Gospels is, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's now accessible. And so I know this is, this, some of this is maybe um, repetitive, if you like, for some of you, but it's just really important as we land some core stuff for us as a church that you really realize that we believe in a kingdom theology. This is the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's important that we preach the gospel of individual souls being saved and being delivered from sin so that you don't have to go to hell, right? That might be an element of this gospel message, and we want to talk about that because that there is a power that happens in salvation and in the transformation of souls. But it's in the context, if you like, of the big picture of the gospel of the kingdom coming so that God's rule and reign will break in and on the earth and that one day the whole mission of God will be fulfilled and completed. Because that's what's going to happen. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're moving towards. And so we sometimes use this big word. Um, Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom. So when somebody gives a, when somebody gives a speech um, when they become prime minister, and the less said about all of that stuff at the moment, the better, yeah? But when somebody gives their opening speech, in their kind of president, presidential campaign, it's called their inaugural speech. It's basically setting out everything that they're going to do in their time as president or prime minister or whatever. And so if you think about it like that, when Jesus came on the earth, he inaugurated the kingdom. He told us what the kingdom was going to look like. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I think you read it last week. Because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives. Yeah, This is the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And one day it will be fully consummated. One day it will be fully fulfilled. One day that kingdom is going to fully come because Jesus has already started it and initiated it. When I was growing up, I had to um, endure um, as a Liverpool supporter far too much Man United success. You know, so I have very little sympathy for them at the moment, if it has to be said, because it's so, it's, so, it's so much to endure all those years, right? But what, what would have happened is they would have often, like hopefully Liverpool might do, but I'm not going to count my chickens before the hatch here, um, won the league way before the league was over. There were still games left, right? They, in a sense, fulfilled already the victory. They were going to lift the trophy, but they still had to play a number of games before the trophy was lifted at the end of the season, right? They had already inaugurated their championship reign, but the day that that was fully completed was still to come. And so Jesus is central, the central to Jesus' ministry, or the climax of Jesus' ministry, if you like, was the cross and the resurrection. And at the cross, Jesus defeated sin, death, and hell. He came, part of the mission of God, now you hear this, right, is to destroy the works of the enemy, to take back what the enemy has stolen right from the Garden of Eden as we choose his choice, if you like, right? He came to destroy that. And part of our mission is to get involved with that, right? So there is an aggression, if you like, and a violence, if you want to put it like that. The kingdom of God suffers violence, but this violence taken by force. But the violence is not the violence that we think of violence is. The violence is a fierce, relentless, sacrificial love. Because it's the kind of love that wins the world. Because this is the kind of Savior who will forgive those in the moment that they are driving nails into his hands and feet. And this is the Jesus who, when he rises from the dead, he does not say with his first words, let's get these Romans Let's get this war. He walks into a room and he says, peace. And he breathed in them. <laughs> right? This is the revolution of the kingdom of God. This is the revolutionary nature to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus takes back the keys of death and hell, the Bible tells us. And he gives them to us. All authority has been given to me. Now go you. Join the mission of God. Go and start getting involved in the sphere of influence you find yourself in to bring the kingdom of God, to pray in his kingdom. And just to emphasize the power and the centrality of the cross in the mission of Jesus, let me read these amazing words um, from first from Colossians, sorry, but it's I always love reading this passage in the message because it's just stunning. I think in the message, just to summarize what I've just tried to preach there, we look at this son, and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son, and we see God's original purpose in everything created, for everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. 
He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning, and leading the resurrection parade, he is supreme in the end. And you, you see the big kind of spacious, roomy nature of that. Everything got created by God. Everything. But because of sin and rebellion in people's hearts, in humanity's hearts, and in the heavens, right, conspiring against, working across purposes to God's purposes, because of that, Jesus had to come. From beginning to end, he's there towering above everything and everyone. So spacious as he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all, all, all the broken and desiccated pieces of the universe, people, things, animals, atoms, this is everything. Everything's going to get restored. Everything's going to be redeemed. Get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. Isn't that beautiful? All because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. It's amazing, isn't it? Everything, everything's getting made new, right? And so, I know sometimes there's so much going on in our own lives that we can only really concentrate in our own lives. Get that and understand that some days it's just like that. We're just inviting the Holy Spirit to come into our lives to help us through what we're going through in work or family and all of that, right? But sometimes you've got to take a moment and allow your mind to widen out a little bit and go, as I receive the Spirit afresh this day into my life, as I choose to die, to live in for myself and to live in for God and go about my day, I am part of the biggest rescue mission that's ever happened in the world. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, his kingdom has been inaugurated. And we are slowly but surely moving towards the consummation of the kingdom where one day we'll lift the trophy and God will establish his kingdom on the earth in its fullness. Yeah, there'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more tumors. There'll be none of that stuff. There'll be no more brokenness in our bodies. There'll be no more mental health problems. And we see that inaugurated in Jesus, don't we? We see it like we see him do it. We see him healing the demoniac. We see him healing people. They might not use this language in the New Testament, but we see him healing people that are tormented in their mind. We see him kicking out demons and casting them out because he's destroying the work of the devil. <laughs> yeah, We see him healing bodies. We see him forgiving sins. We see him raising up dead things, dead people. This is, the, this is the message of the kingdom. This is the gospel of the kingdom, and this is the mission of God. And not, not to get often this, but you know, sometimes we talk about, right, the kingdom is both now and it's not yet, yeah? And it's, it's, it's not yet because we're going to one day see it fully co uh, consummated. One day we're going to lift the trophy and it's all going to be won and it's all going to be done. But it's also now. And I know some days we feel more of the not yetness of the kingdom. Right? Some days it's just like we feel more of it. We just feel like we're being pulverized by sickness and death and grief and loss and difficulty. I get that, right? I know what that feels like. But I'm very, very comfortable also, right, with the thought that slowly but surely, right, even though some days it feels like the enemy's winning, I'm very comfortable, right, with 
the theology that day by day <laughs> we are squeezing him and pushing him further and further and further back into the corner, right? Because more of God's kingdom is breaking through and one day, one day coming soon, it will be fully done. It will be fully done because Jesus has already won, right? The points are already in the bag. It's already in the bank in that sense. The work is done. When Jesus had finished the work, he sat down because he, he has done what he has needed to do in order to win back humanity for himself. And therefore, he calls us as his sons and daughters into <laughs> the redemption of all things. That's the mission that you're part of. You know, so we get we get to be part. That that's where that's why we need all the other practices. That's why we need generosity, hospitality, creativity, prayer. So we need all of those things because we're in this mission of making all things new. So start to get creative. Start to get excited about things are broken. You should actually have. A, I mean this kind of reverently, not to be sympathetic, unsympathetic to people who are going through difficulty. But there's a sense in which something in us should go around looking for dead things. Because that's what Jesus did in order that we might breathe life. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. So we should get a little bit, it might even feel a bit perverse in your head at times. But sometimes we need to just feel a little bit of excitement when something in front of us looks a bit dead and broken. Because we get to do something to help bring a bit of solution. Right? And we might, we're not the Messiah himself, so it might not always fully work like that, but we are aspiring to be like him, aren't we? So we need to have more or as many stories of answered prayer and miraculous stuff as we do for all the kind of theology and thinking that we need to have for unanswered stuff as well. We need both. But we could potentially do with readdressing the balance, right? And I am, like, you all, you all, you all know my story. And so I find myself been invited to all sorts of broken situations to speak and share my story. I'm very willing to do that because people need to hear that message, right? I'm very willing to do that. But I want to speak at some other events where I'm telling stories about the miraculous. I want to speak at some other events. I want to get invited. Not, not that it's about getting invited to speak, but you know what I mean what I'm saying. I want to get invited because there's stories going on here of like life and vitality and the kingdom breaking in now and in the midst of brokenness. How God is changing. People say, like, well, in, in your situation, like, you know what I mean, about unanswered prayer, you know, what do you do about the miraculous? And I always say to them something like, well, to be honest, it's still a miracle that I'm here. And it's a miracle that I love Jesus. And it's a miracle that I love his church. And it's a miracle that I still believe in prayer. And I still believe in healing. That's a miracle. That is supernatural to me. Because I know what it's like when your lights are about to go out. Right? And to think at that time that I would be doing what I'm doing right now, that's the kingdom of God. That's the power of God that helps you in your weakness, that helps you when you've got nothing left to give. That's the power of God. And that is the message of the kingdom, that when we're broken and desiccated, atoms, animals, people, all, all that's going wrong, that God in Jesus is making all things new. And that's what you're being invited into. That's what we're invited into as a local church in this community. And so you're a new creation. So I've just given you the sketch, basically, if you like, of the key passages of Scripture. 
and help us understand the mission of God. And it comes through after Jesus gives us authority. Paul's remained in the church years later, maybe like 50, 60 years after Jesus went back to heaven. He's declaring to the church, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, as Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. God's spirit is imploring. God's making his appeal through us. He's making his appeal through us. Can that, can that, would not be amazing if that was our testimony as a local church in Portadown. God was making his appeal through this people. Be reconciled to God. He wants to make you new. Um, and, the, and the early church did this, and they were caught up in this. And as the Spirit, the Spirit came upon them at Pentecost, they realized that they were a sent people. They could not stay in the room because the Spirit came upon them, and that Spirit was making His appeal through them, be reconciled to God. And this has always been the destiny and the mission of humanity. So if you're here today, and you're not in a great place with God, or you're not even a Christian, but this is resonating with you a bit, right? That's completely normal. It should be resonating with you, because this is what you were born for, to be part of the mission of God. The very fact that you're a human being, an image bearer, right, points to the fact that you were caught up and born and designed to be part of the mission of God. Yeah? And that's why I've charted it from the start. This is what we are caught up in. And central to that message, as I, as I draw this to conclusion now, central to that message is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King, and His kingdom is coming. And He rules over everything that rebelled against Him, whether in the heavens or on the earth. He rules over it all. So central to our message is, Jesus is Lord. He reigns. He's king over it all. He's conquered. He's vanquished the enemy. And, um, and the implications for this are that mission is therefore the primary reason that the church exists, right? So mission is not a compartment of church. Mission is not a department of church. And sometimes because we have different ministries of church, we need people to head them up. And so we end up with job titles like missions directors or mission pastors or mission coordinators. And I understand that and there's nothing wrong with that. But the danger of it is that then we think mission is for a few on the church rather than the whole thing is mission, right? Um, there isn't mission because there is a church. There is a church because there is a mission, right? Do you get it? There isn't a mission because there is a church. There is a church because there is a mission. So we're all caught up in this. We all should be caught up in mission wherever we go. I love this from Leslie Newbegin. The deepest motive for mission is simply the desire to be with Jesus where he is. On the frontier between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. <laughs> That's where you get to go every morning. That's where you get to show up. Ascend people in 
to the places that we're called to live and move and work every day, on that edge between the reign of God and the usurped dominion of the devil. That's what we're being called to. And it <clears throat> and the motive for it is to be with Jesus. And that's why, like all of the practices we talked about, we need the Spirit. Yeah? We need the Spirit. Because we need the Spirit to fill us, to be with Jesus. Because some mornings you don't want to be part of the mission. Sure, you don't. You just want to get your own stuff done and get back to the fire that night or something, right? <laughs> yeah, because it's just you're tired and life's hard. That's why we need prayer. That's why we need that first practice more than anything else. We need the Spirit filling us because evangelism is most authentic when it's an overflow of presence, right? Evangelism is most authentic when it's an overflow of the presence of God. And I believe that that's what God wants us to think about this morning. And so, you want to a song, yeah? We're going to do a song to finish. And as the guys come, you guys come and get set up. And as we do that, let me let me just um oh can you put up the slide with the questions, Andy? Just one sec. Just as the guys come up, there's um I just want us to. to th- I think I've got questions here. Yeah, just as as I set up, here's what I want you to think about: where, where is your mission field? What are some of the places that God may be calling you to say? Or God might be wanting to empower you to say there's some territory here that needs to be taken back. There's uh, and there's some places here that seem to be filled with more the presence of darkness than they do the presence of light. Okay, so so where's where's God calling you to in that regard? How can you be involved in the redemption of all things where you live every day? What enemy-occupied territory is God calling you to contend for? (laughs) So, it could be like physical spaces. It could be hearts and minds of people that you come into contact with. It could be bodies that you work alongside or you treat. And yet you carry, not in your own strength, you carry the presence of Jesus, the spirit of the king and the way of the king. So through love and through prayer, the Holy Spirit engaged prayer, Holy Spirit formed love, speaking the truth in love, that's how we see territory taken back. And so sometimes it's going to mean you're going to be standing in wards or in office blocks or classrooms. You're just going to start to pray in the spirit underneath your breath. You know, you're maybe going to go into school 10 minutes early and walk into that classroom before anybody gets in. And you're going to go, I'm going to start to speak in 
the word of the Lord. I'm going to start praying in the presence of God. I'm going to start inviting the Holy Spirit to come. I'm going to start doing the Lord's Prayer. If it's as simple as that, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I'm going to just start doing that. And I'm going to believe that some of the attitudes and behaviors that remind me more maybe of what the kingdom of darkness is influencing is going to be reversed. It's going to be pushed back. We're going to see more of the kingdom come. Yeah, I'm going to walk into my businesses where there's all sorts of manipulation and control and bad attitudes and bad spirits. I'm going to go in there a little bit. I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to ask God for the strength to help me show love and compassion and sacrificial love because that's what disarms. That's what defeats the devil, yeah? And each of us, wherever we find ourselves, God, I think is calling us and leading us in the greater sense of authority to carry the kingdom as a people on a mission, all right? So why don't we stand our feet just for a moment. We're going to sing one song and then we're done. But um, just as... Um, Just as Catherine leads us, why don't you just allow yourself, why don't we just, even if you want to close your eyes, if it helps you concentrate, we just go to that place just where God is calling us to. And as we do that as individuals, we're going to pray in a moment that God would help us to understand that as a church, what it means in this area and this time. Just even where God is calling you, your mission field tomorrow.